Good morning. Welcome this beautiful day to Queen Anne Lutheran Church for the second Sunday of Advent. Whether you're a longtime visitor, uh, first time, I'm sorry, a longtime member, first time visitor, uh, or somewhere in between, uh, apparently the coffee is not working, uh, we are glad to see you. Um, just a few reminders before we begin our service. First, as always, we invite you to silence your phones as a gift to yourself and to your neighbor. We ask that you remain masked uh, again throughout the service. And again, if you have trouble singing, please don't push yourself. Uh, let the choir and the rest of the congregation carry you in song. If you have any concerns during the service, we have ushers available for assistance. And uh, finally, if you are interested in hearing a portion of the service again or know of someone who would, this service will be uh, audio recorded and made available online. We pray for you and for those who might be listening later to continue to be safe and well. We begin our service in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, we challenged the view of those who focus on the book of Revelation and with it the great tribulation its author anticipates by presenting biblical alternatives that speak of the coming completion of God's creation in hopeful, joyous, and eager ways. Today, instead of exclusively looking forward, I will suggest that Advent, the first season, of course, of the church year, gives us the opportunity to look back as well, to be thankful, as Paul says in our second reading, for the good things we have received from God in our life together. Prepare yourselves, therefore, to hear a glowing letter of gratitude in the fashion of Paul as your message for today. Our gathering hymn is Comfort, Comfort, Now My People, number 256 in the red hymnal. Please rise as you are able.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, Lord God, and help us prepare for the coming of your Son. By his coming, give us hope through the knowledge of your salvation, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
The Old Testament reading is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Lord announces a covenant with Israel. A messenger like Malachi, his name means my messenger, shall prepare the way for the coming of the Lord by purifying and refining God's people as silver and gold are refined. A reading from the book of Malachi. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Word of God, word of life.
The epistle reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. The Apostle Paul was the pastor of many new churches. He writes in this letter about his joy to be in partnership with the Christians of Philippi. Listen to how tender-hearted Paul, sometimes a stern preacher, is with his friends as he encourages them to grow in love and knowledge. A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how, long, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory <clears throat> and praise of God. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruled over the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Anas and Caiaphas, the Lord the word of God came to John of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, 
and all flesh shall see the salvation of God, the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. I decided this morning not to preach on the gospel because, quite frankly, I can't, I can't pronounce all the names. So, we're going to look instead at the second lesson, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I think it marks an opportunity for us as a church to share in the gratitude that Paul has for his congregation uh, insofar as I have it for you. Advent, as you know, marks the beginning of the church year. Over the next few weeks, we look forward to the birth of Christ, a tiny flicker on the horizon representing new life and new beginnings. Advent also provides us with the opportunity to look back over the previous 12 months, just as some of us do at the end of the secular year. In this context, we might ask ourselves, how was God present in our lives? What did we accomplish? Where did we succeed? And when it comes to our mistakes, what can we learn from them? While our answers to these questions will vary, most of us would probably agree that the past year was a difficult one, generally speaking. More than several of our church members contracted COVID, one of whom is still in recovery. Others experienced deep personal loss, economic hardship, and the continuation of debilitating health issues. For me as your pastor, the biggest challenge when it comes to our ministry was undoubtedly our safe transition back to in-person worship. Across the country, division over how to worship, online or in person, including whether congregants should be required to wear masks, has been one of several factors contributing to, and this was quite stunning for me to read, what Sojourners Magazine calls the great resignation among pastors. The great resignation among pastors. Listen to this. In poll data collected recently by the Barna Group, about 38% of Protestant senior pastors surveyed have considered resigning over the past year. 38%. Among pastors under the age of 45, that number rose to an astounding 46%. In other words, almost half of pastors surveyed over the past year have, at least at one point, considered resignation. Many of these pastors are weary of the infighting among members of their congregation over things like mask wearing. They've grown tired watching the cultural wars play out in the pews. And so they looked, or are looking, 
to other careers. Now, one of the many reasons I am, and I want to underscore this, not among those who have considered resigning this past year has been the way in which you as a congregation have handled returning to in-person worship. In working with our council, our reopening task force, and in receiving input from the congregation at large, I quickly realized that we were, as Paul would say, of one mind when it came to making safety for everyone our first priority. I am so thankful for that. Together, we gave life to the words of Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Let each of you look not to your own interests, he writes, but to the interests of others. That's been lost on a lot of Christians. This fundamental commitment of care for the other led to the precautions we as a congregation have taken, which, while cumbersome, have enabled us safely to gather again, to hear the gospel in word and song, and to receive the food of forgiveness in the sacrament of Holy Communion. In short, we did it. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who have helped along the way and who continue to assist the efforts of this ministry. Let us also thank the Lord our God, as we say in the liturgy, for the inspiration he gives us in Christ Jesus to live for one another instead of simply living for ourselves. Some may ask, where is Christ in the world? My response, he is here. You have incarnated his presence whenever you've sought the interest of others instead of only your own. Of course, we will have more things for which to be grateful in the months that lie ahead. The return, as is already the case, of acolytes to our weekly 1030 worship services, multiple baptisms in the month of January, and adult forums featuring a prominent member of the city, Seattle City Council later this month, as well as a nationally acclaimed author in January. But for now, let us take a moment to look back and be grateful for the good things God has provided Queen Anne Lutheran Church when we have come together in one spirit, one mind, for the sake of our neighbor, safely to worship again. I'm glad the editors of our lectionary chose Philippians 3, I'm sorry, 1, 3 through 11 as our second lesson for today. It focuses, of course, on gratitude. Perhaps they selected it because entering a new church year, as I said, provides us with the opportunity to look back, to be grateful for the ways in which God has guided and sustained us over the past 12 months, in good times, but also in bad. I like how Paul begins this section of the letter by talking about his gratitude for the ministry he and his Philippians share. As one commentary puts it, in Greek as in English, this term, share, 
sometimes translated as partnership, connotes both fellowship and a financial sharing in business enterprise. Paul and his fellow Philippians are literally and figuratively invested in the ministry they share. This is especially the, uh, evident in the support they give Paul. Now, what is Paul's situation in Philippians exactly? Do you remember? Take a look at Philippians 2, 7. Well, I don't, you don't have it in, uh, it's 1, 7, which provides the answer. He was in prison. Now, prison was not a place where the guilty go for punishment. In the first century, in Paul's context, people would go to prison to wait, to wait for their verdict and sentence, which could range from anywhere between execution and exoneration. There they would wait, sometimes for extensive periods of time. In prison, moreover, the state provided nothing. As Carla Works of Wesleyan Theological Seminary observes, the Philippians have invested in Paul's ministry even during times of uncertainty, since prisoners were at the mercy of their family and friends to provide basic needs. The church sent Epaphroditus with, good, with goods for Paul during his imprisonment. No wonder Paul was grateful. The Philippians were keeping him alive. Of course, Paul's gratitude extended well beyond the support he had been receiving. He was also grateful for the way in which God was working through his situation. How even in these circumstances, God can take an obstacle to his mission, in this case imprisonment, and turn it into an opportunity, in this case preaching the gospel to the Roman guard. Obstacle to opportunity. Indeed, Paul had infiltrated the ranks of those who maintained the hegemony of the empire. This success could only be met with joy. So here's my question. What can we learn from Paul when it comes to joy? How can we maintain his attitude of gratitude, moreover, when we find ourselves particularly in undesirable circumstances, whether that be a dark night of the soul, experience of loss, or personal physical pain. How is it that Paul can repeatedly rejoice? The term joy appears some 16 times in this letter, even in chains. Professor Works has a great answer. She writes, the apostle can have joy in the midst of suffering because of his confidence, his confidence in God's work through Christ. His joy is wed to God's activity rather than to his own personal circumstances. Joy is an appropriate theological response. It is not joy because of the suffering, but joy because those who cause the suffering will not have the last word. Now think about this for a moment. The return of Christ I suggested last Sunday was not something for Paul or the Philippians to be feared 
like so many Christians today fear it. It was rather the source of great joy, one where God would bring to completion the work of the Philippians and one where their love, which distinguished them from the society around them, would, as Paul says in the first chapter, overflow with knowledge and full insight. Yet Paul had even more than hope in Christ's return. And here's where I think we can learn from him. His joy was in what God was doing now, how God was empowering him in his weakness, as he says in 2 Corinthians 12:9, in his weakness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stand up in the face of hardship and to resist injustice nonviolently. How, you ask? Because, as I suggested several weeks ago, Paul learned, and this is a lesson I'm still learning, Paul learned in his moments of weakness to lean on God for his strength. To lean on God for his strength. And we, you and I, are called to do the same. That is how God's strength, as Paul says, is made perfect in our weakness. It becomes an opportunity for us in those moments to rely on the source of strength in God to empower us to go forward instead of giving up. Do you struggle like I do with being joyful in the midst of difficult, painful, or impossible circumstances? If so, welcome to the human condition. This is natural. After all, experiencing joy when the situation dictates otherwise is totally counterintuitive. But as Paul shows in his letter today, it is possible. The question is how? How do we experience joy in a season of mourning? How do we experience joy in our moments of weakness? How do we experience joy when the world around us seems so uncertain, so chaotic, so dark. For Paul, as we have learned, the issue comes down to this. He was able to distinguish the objective situation from his personal circumstances. Even while in prison, even while tortured, and even while in pain, Paul could see the work God was doing around him through his ministry and rejoice in that accordingly. It doesn't mean that he pretended his suffering away. It just means that in spite of his suffering, he could see what God was doing around him. When we find ourselves fearful, say, of the church's future or of its finances, we can likewise look around us and affirm what God is nevertheless doing here and now. It is difficult sometimes, but with the Spirit's help, are not all things possible? Of course, I recognize these same challenges, but when I look out at each of you, I have an immense feeling of gratitude and joy. Beyond our unity in making safety the first priority upon returning to in-person worship, 
I am grateful to you for so many things. For your care and support that you have given me over the duration of my mother's battle with cancer. For the incredible outpouring of thanksgiving I witnessed last week during our thank offering. For the way you remind me that we are a family of faith. For the humor and grace that so many of you have brought to my life. And for the way you care for each other and reach out beyond our walls to those in need. I am also grateful for the many volunteers who selflessly contribute their time to our ministry. Whether it's a member of choir, an usher, an acolyte, an assisting minister, a counter, a Sunday school teacher, I am so grateful for the work you do to make our ministry possible. And I am also grateful to our staff, to Barb, a person in whom we could not have asked for a better parish administrator, right? <laughs> to John Bryant, who works with Rich to keep our grounds in order and our building safe. And to Kyle, whose gift for music finds perfect expression in his desire to serve others, and who should be awarded a medal for helping me refine my chanting, <laughs> all in the hope, <laughs> all in the hope that one day I will transition from a baritone back to the true nature of my voice, which is apparently tenor. In all these things, as Paul does in Philippians, I give thanks for you. Advent marks the beginning of the church year, a time where we anticipate the joy of the birth of Christ and with it the prospect for new beginnings. It also gives us the opportunity, as we've done here, to look back over the previous 12 months we may wonder what we accomplished or what mistakes we made. Yet for all of that, Paul offers us another way. Looking back in gratitude, his joy was wed to God's activity rather than to his own personal circumstances. We can do the same by turning our focus to the ways in which God has been present in our ministry. Even when we find ourselves personally struggling or when the church finds itself facing difficulties or hardship. How do you think God has been working among us? In what ways, led by the Spirit, has our ministry made a difference in each other's lives or in the lives of those outside the church, especially those in need? These are the questions I put to you this morning. May God give us the spirit of gratitude he gave Paul, a spirit that enabled him to find joy even in the harsh reality of imprisonment and in places, rather other places, we would least expect, surprising us with the joy that comes from above and enabling us to bring that joy to the lives of others. And all God's people said, Amen.
Let us confess the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed found on page 7 of your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In this season of watching and waiting, let us pray for all people and places that yearn for God's presence. Holy God, send messengers into the world to proclaim the day of Christ's coming. Make our bishops, pastors, deacons, and lay preachers confident in their preaching that their words and our lives witness to your grace. Lord, in your mercy. Send your spirit to all living creatures that are endangered. Provide them with shelter and care and bring us into right relationship with the earth that you create and call good. Lord, in your mercy. Send leaders to our nations, cities, schools, and businesses to work on behalf of those who have lost parents, spouses, and loved ones, immigrants, the imprisoned, those living in poverty, and all who are oppressed. Make them bold in their commitments to justice and reconciliation. Lord, in your mercy. Send your servants to care for those who suffer. Use our ministries and our lives to reach out with compassion to those who are hungry, oppressed, lonely, or ill. Grant them healing and wholeness. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Send prophets to speak difficult truths, even when they are poorly received. Embolden those who ask hard questions and challenge accepted ways. Instill in youth and elders alike a passion for pointing to Christ in all things. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray?
Gracious God, I give you thanks for everyone gathered here this morning. We pray especially for Lisa uh, and upon the death of her father, John, for Doris, Frank, for Jim, Deb, Ken and Ellen, Mary, Olga, Rich and Candy, Jan, Barb, Carol, Jean, Ruth, Denny, Ben, Barbara, Shana, Lulugeta, Awatosh, Bob, and Hildy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. We remember your saints, both those publicly celebrated and those more humbly remembered. Confident that your work will be completed, we live in faith until the day of your coming. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God of new life, you come among us in the places we least expect. Receive these prayers and those of our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Healer, and the Pioneer of our salvation. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right our duty and our joy that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you. Almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, you comforted your people with the promise of the Redeemer through whom you also will make all things new in the day when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, 
take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, help us work toward your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from the kingdom. Kingdom, power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. If you are receiving communion this morning, we invite you at this point to take out the communable and uh, receive the bread and wine at my direction. God invites you to this meal of grace. Receive the food of forgiveness. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. Jesus, bread of life, we have received your food of forgiveness and the bread and wine of holy communion. As you have nourished us in this meal, accepting us before you without condition, strengthen us to love one another as you first loved us. Amen. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. Once again, a warm welcome to all of you here today. If you are visiting today, we invite you to fill out a blue pew card where you can also submit prayer requests, requests for our newsletter, uh, the need for contact, etc. Our quill, the newsletter, uh, is out as of today, and it looks gorgeous thanks to, uh, thanks to the efforts of Barb. Very vibrant 
colorful, lots of things happening. If you don't have a copy of the quill already, we invite you to pick up one on your way out of church on the, the table in the narthex. I wanted to highlight just a couple uh, announcements regarding our next forum series. That begins with uh, Jessica Zimmerly of Earth Ministry next Sunday at 9 a.m. We have been in the slow process because of the pandemic of, of adopting additional practices to play our part in care for God's creation. One, uh, probably the most shining example of this is our Ridwell opportunity. You can recycle items uh, in the Ridwell bags in the narthex. I've noticed some of you doing that, and I'm so grateful. This is a small way we can contribute uh, to that cause. Beyond that, however, Jessica will share with us how to engage with policies that further the well-being of communities and the environment. This was a request that was uh, made uh, several years ago. Now that we've talked about what's happening with the planet, what at least small part can we play when it comes to uh, making a difference, both here and in our community? Jessica will help us answer that question. The following week, December 19th at 9 a.m., we are joined by no less than Andrew Lewis, a member of the Seattle City Council. He will talk about his role in addressing climate change and his views on what the city should be doing. He will also be interested in hearing your concerns and views. The, uh, that particular forum will be downstairs in the fellowship hall. We uh, um, warmly invite you to that, and please invite others. This is another opportunity for us to think about our faith in action. Finally, I wanted to say a quick word about delivering poinsettias. If you are able to help deliver our poinsettia gifts during the week of December 13th to the 17th, please contact Connie Worm uh, or the church office. Um, that would be great. Uh, notice as well the opportunities uh, when it comes to um, volunteering for greeter, usher, uh, assistant in worship, counters, etc. So those are all waiting for you to sign up for in the narthex. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Kyle. Thank you. Any others? Okay, then I invite you to please rise for the blessing. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our sending hymn, stanzas one through four, is Savior of the Nations Come, number 263. Mm -hmm. 